The House and Senate will both return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Last week on the House floor, after four weeks off, the House returned to work last Thursday. First up was consideration of a rule to govern floor consideration of H.R. 51, the Washington, D.C. Admission Act, H.R. 1425, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Enhancement Act, H.R. 5332, the Protecting Your Credit Score Act of 2019, H.R. 7120, the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, H.R. 7301, the Emergency Housing Protections and Relief Act of 2020, and H.J. Res. 90, providing for congressional disapproval under Chapter 8 of Title V of the United States Code of the rules submitted by the Office of the Controller of the Currency Relating to Community Reinvestment Act Regulations. The rule passed. Then the House took up H.R. 7120, the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. It passed by a vote of 236 to 181, with all 233 Democrats voting in favor and 180 Republicans voting against. Three Republicans, Brian Fitzpatrick, Will Hurd, and Fred Upton, crossed party lines to vote in favor. On Friday, the House took up H.J. Res. 76, providing for congressional disapproval under Chapter 8 of Title V, United States Code, of the rules submitted by the Department of Education relating to borrower defense institutional accountability. The measure failed by a vote of 238 to 173. Then the House took up H.R. 51, the Washington, D.C. Admissions Act. All but one Democrat chose to display their ignorance of the Constitution by voting in favor of the bill. The lone Democrat to vote against it was Colin Peterson of Minnesota. By contrast, every single Republican who cast a vote chose to vote against the measure. And so did the former Republican, now independent, Justin Amash. And then they were done. This week on the House floor, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote set for 2.30 p.m. At that time, the House will consider four measures. H.R. 1425, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Enhancement Act. H.R. 7301, the Emergency Housing Protections and Relief Act of 2020. H.R. 5332, the Protecting Your Credit Score Act of 2019. And H.J. Res. 90, providing for congressional disapproval under Chapter 8 of Title V, United States Code, of the rules submitted by the Office of the Controller of the Currency relating to Community Reinvestment Act regulations. On Tuesday and for the balance of the week, the House will consider H.R. 2, the Moving Forward Act. That bill is a 2,309-page monstrosity that was originally named the Investing in a New Vision for the Environment and Surface Transportation in America Act, or the Invest in America Act. It's a $1.5 trillion infrastructure spending bill, and the House Republican leadership has taken to calling it Speaker Pelosi's My Way or the Highway bill. This bill began as the House Democrats' $500 billion highway funding bill. It was passed out of the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure on June 18 without a single Republican vote. And that's hard to do because the kind of Republicans who like to serve on the Transportation Committee are the kind of Republicans who like to vote for asphalt and concrete. The bill initially reauthorized surface transportation programs for five years. Nothing remarkable there. That's what usually happens in that committee. But after the committee markup session, the bill was loaded up with another trillion dollars in various proposals, many of which never saw committee action. Now it's been loaded up with climate change, emissions reduction, and Green New Deal mandates. It reduces flexibility for states, creates new mandates and programs, and favors urban centers over the infrastructure needs of, solid, of smaller communities. This is a horrible piece of legislation, and all right-thinking people should oppose it. Last two weeks on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work on Monday, June 15th, and took up consideration of H.R. 1957. That was the legislative vehicle for the Great American Outdoors Act. 
First, the Senate voted to waive all, all applicable budgetary discipline regarding Amendment Number 1617 in the nature of a substitute. Friends, when you hear that the Senate just voted to waive all applicable budgetary discipline, that's not a good thing. That vote, for those of you keeping score at home, was 68 to 30. Not a single one of the 30 votes against maintaining budgetary discipline came from the Democratic side of the aisle. Not surprising. Then the Senate voted to adopt the Gardner Amendment, number 1617, in the nature of a substitute. And then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on H.R. 1957 as amended. On Wednesday, the Senate finished up with H.R. 1957, the legislative vehicle for the Great American Outdoors Act, passing it by a vote of 73 to 25. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Justin Reed Walker to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the District of Columbia Circuit. On Thursday, the Senate came back and voted to confirm Walker to that position. The Senate went home for the weekend and came back to work on Monday, June 22nd. First up was a vote to invoke cloture on the nomination of Corey T. Wilson to be United States Circuit Judge for the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm Wilson to that position. This was an important judicial confirmation for two reasons. First, because it was the 200th judicial confirmation of President Trump's first term. And second, because now, for the first time in 40 years, there is not a single vacancy anywhere in the circuit courts of appeal in the federal judiciary. Then the Senate moved to vote on the motion to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to S3985, Senator Tim Scott's Just and Unifying Solutions to Invigorate Communities Everywhere Act of 2020, or the Justice Act. This was the Senate Republicans' counter to the House Democrats' police reform bill. Democrats had earlier insisted they wanted to pass a police reform bill, but they apparently didn't want it enough to be willing to engage in bipartisan negotiation between House and Senate, because when it came time to vote, all but three Senate Democrats voted against even bringing the bill to the floor. Consequently, cloture failed by a vote of 55 to 45. For those wondering why there would only be 55 votes in favor instead of 56, given that three Democrats voted in favor, it's because Majority Leader McConnell switched his vote from yay to nay at the end so that he can, at a future date, enter a motion to reconsider the vote if he wants to. On Thursday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to S-4049, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021, and then they were done. So this week on the Senate floor, they'll return tomorrow. The first vote at 5.30 p.m. Will be, a vote to, will be a vote on the motion to proceed to consideration of S-4049, the National Defense Authorization Act, for fiscal year 2021. There are currently 529 amendments filed to S-4049. Now to D.C. statehood. As mentioned earlier, on Friday, the House did something neither chamber had ever done before. It passed legislation elevating the District of Columbia to the 51st state. House Democratic leaders know this bill will go nowhere. The Republican-controlled Senate will not move it, and President Trump has vowed to veto it if it's ever laid on his desk. But it's important to see this bill as an example of what could happen if Democrats win the fall elections and take back the White House and the Senate. If Democrats win control of the Senate, we fully expect that the legislative filibuster will be discarded. Legislation will pass in the Senate with a simple 51-vote majority. And that means that if the Democrats win the Senate and the White House, they could pass this bill to give Democrats another two U.S. senators in perpetuity with a simple majority in both houses. And our side would have to count on a fight in the courts to save us. Now to erasing history. On Thursday, 
June 18th, Speaker Nancy Pelosi ordered the removal of four portraits of former speakers of the House who also served as leaders of the Confederate States of America. In response to the nationwide left-wing attacks on historical monuments, memorials, and statues, on Friday, President Trump signed an executive order designed to combat such efforts. The order notes that, quote, individuals and organizations have the right peacefully to advocate for either the removal or the construction of any monument, but no individual or group has the right to damage, deface, or remove any monument by use of force, end quote. It then goes on to note that, quote, in the midst of these attacks, many state and local governments appear to have lost the ability to distinguish between the lawful exercise of rights to free speech and assembly and unvarnished vandalism, end quote, and says, quote, my administration will not allow violent mobs incited by a radical fringe to become the arbiters of the aspect of our history that can be celebrated in public spaces, unquote. The meat of the order is to declare it to be the policy of the U.S. government to prosecute any person or entity that damages, defaces, or destroys a whole raft of properties, including religious property, and to threaten the removal of federal taxpayer dollars from state and local governments that fail to exercise their responsibility to protect monuments, memorials, and statues. And finally, the Flynn follow-up continued. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice included in a court filing newly released notes taken by fired former FBI agent Peter Strzok that revealed that President Obama himself directed essential elements of the FBI efforts to target incoming Trump National Security Advisor General Michael Flynn during a January 5, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office. The handwritten notes show that Obama, quote, personally directed former FBI Director James Comey and former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates to investigate Flynn for having routine phone calls with a Russian counterpart. He also suggested they withhold information from President Trump and his key national security figures. It was this January 5, 2017 meeting, which was confirmed by testimony from Comey and Yates, that Obama guidance to key officials who would be tasked with protecting his administration's utilization of secretly funded Clinton campaign research, which alleged Trump was involved in a treasonous plot to collude with Russia from being discovered or stopped by the incoming administration, end quote, according to the Federalist. Continues the report, quote, the new notes, which record Comey's accounting to struck of the meeting's substance, constitute definitive evidence that Obama himself was personally directing significant aspects of a criminal investigation into his political enemy's top foreign policy advisor, end quote. The notes quote Obama as saying, quote, make sure you look at things and have the right people on it, unquote. Comey is quoted as describing the Flynn Kislyak phone calls as, quote, legit, unquote, presumably shorthand for legitimate. Until last week, that exculpatory information had been withheld from Flynn's defense attorneys, multiple congressional committees, and the public. The day after that court filing was made, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Circuit Court for the District of Columbia ordered Judge Emmett Sullivan to grant the Department of Justice's motion to dismiss all charges against General Flynn. By a two-to-one vote, the panel ruled that Judge Sullivan had exceeded his authority when he refused to grant the unopposed motion by the Department of Justice to dismiss the charges against Flynn. But that's not necessarily the end of the troubles for General Flynn. Judge Sullivan could still conceivably appeal the decision of the three-judge panel to the entire court. Stay tuned. And that's our Washington Report for this week.